0: This is episode 417 of the AWS Podcast, released on January 3rd, 2021. Podcast confirmed. Welcome to the official AWS Podcast.
1: Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the AWS Podcast. Simon Lynch here with you. Great to have you back. And I'm joined by a special guest. I'm joined by Laura Thompson, who is a Senior Product Manager here at AWS. Welcome to the podcast, Laura. Thanks, Simon. Now, you've joined us to talk about something. Very nifty, uh, which is related to an announcement we had during our recent 2020 reInvent. But rather than me try and explain it and triple over it, Laura, I'll let you explain what we're talking about and what we're trying to solve for.
0: Yeah, sounds good. So Werner had announced the service during his keynote. It's the AWS Fault Injection Simulator. That's our new fully managed chaos engineering service. And what we're trying to do with this is really make it possible for all customers to get started with chaos engineering and ramp up their chaos engineering practice more safely and easily. We've heard from a lot of our customers that they want to start using chaos engineering, they're learning more about it and the benefit of using it to improve and validate the resiliency and performance of their application, but that it's challenging to get started. There's a lot of tools available that do a lot of different things and often involve quite a bit of learning and investment from the customer's team. So what we're trying to do with this new service is offer a managed solution that makes it really easy for customers to select the types of fault injections they want to do and create experiments to run using these composable experiment templates that the service has.
1: So let's let's step back then and, uh, and define some of our terms because chaos engineering has been a a term that's been used for, for a few years now in, in certain segments, but I think more and more people are being exposed to it. And really, we're talking about the concept of understanding that you know stuff breaks all the time, as Werner often says, and that we should be building to expect that rather than to avoid it. So, so maybe help us dive into the, the practice of chaos engineering and what it's being used for in the development and infrastructure and DevOps world.
0: Yeah, that's a really good summary. Like it, it is about, breaking things, which sounds so counterintuitive for what we're used to doing whenever we (laughs) are (laughs) trying to build resilient systems. Um, So Netflix um, really had a big part in popularizing this and making Chaos Monkey available as an open source tool for customers to use. How we think about chaos engineering is around the process of stressing an application. And I say stress instead of failure because yes, Some of it is about failure, but it's also about um, things like injecting latency or throttling API requests. And it's not necessarily tied to availability, but about stressing infrastructure, microservices, and making sure that they can handle that stress. So we think about it as a way to find those unknown unknowns that your regular testing isn't going to catch
1: yeah, it's a, it's, a, it's a real continuum too, because as you said, it's not just about you know service X that I'm calling failed. It's what if it's really slow, uh, or what if it's slow sometimes, not other times. What what do I do? And and I think it expands upon the the sort of the classic disaster recovery type mentality, which was you know we'd we'd build DR into these systems and then we'd we'd test it in the best possible scenario, maybe to tick off a contractual requirement, versus a completely different concept and, and, and philosophy, which is we just break stuff all the time as we're building. And if the application architecture is is tolerant, uh, it'll keep working or it'll recover very quickly versus, you know, we can only guarantee recovery on the best possible day with everyone there. So there's a big mind shift change before we even get to this technology piece, which we'll get into. It's, it's really a, 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 a culture or a philosophical question.
0: Totally. And like what we've seen a lot of customers doing as they're onboarding with chaos engineering is starting with a game day format where you spend a lot of time creating the experiment, make sure you have all the right people at the ready when you run the experiment and check what happens. But then as your practice matures and you're more comfortable that your applications will be able to deal with these certain scenarios that you're testing to Run it randomly like a chaos monkey does or integrate it into a deployment pipeline and actually gate your production deployments on requirements of passing certain resiliency or performance tests with certain failure conditions or stress conditions injected.
1: I think game day is an important concept to talk about. There's lots of different names you can use for it, but game day is kind of the the name we use for it, which is basically where... As you said, we we get together and think about how we can simulate different failure scenarios or do degradation scenarios in an application, but we do it in an organised fashion, kind of like with a with a red team or an nefarious team who are trying to uh, to break stuff. And what it does is it allows us to get our hands on on maybe areas of tooling that we're not usually touching because things are usually working. Uh, understanding what happens in, in stress conditions and certainly one of the big observations I've taken away from other game days is it's often not the application or the architecture itself that fails, but the supporting communication infrastructure around it that fails or those little inefficiencies you find. So like you say, this is about exploring what we don't know, not so much proving what we know.
0: Something interesting, We've I think we kind of started the project here thinking about resiliency and making more resilient applications being the core of chaos engineering, but. Digging into it more, learning about those, we think of it as observability, but like that benefit of, do I even have the right alarms and metrics set up? If I do, do they trigger at the right point? And then if they do, are is my paging duty set up properly? Are people ready to respond to certain conditions and being able to test that as well? Which I think is something that every application can benefit from. It's not just your mission-critical applications or... Apps with really high resiliency requirements—it's really everything.
1: Absolutely. So let's let's dive into some detail about the AWS Fault Injector Simulator. What does it do, and how do I use it?
0: So with the with AWS Biz, we're very focused on that—the piece of chaos engineering that is actually running the experiment. So there's the the pre homework that is done and deciding what you want to test. What is your hypothesis? What conditions do you want to create? What is the timeline that you want to do to run that and making sure those metrics and that plan is set up. And then where Fizz comes in is actually setting up and executing that experiment. So with the service, uh, we have a set of pre-built, we call them actions, they're fault injection actions that let customers reference, say, latency injection in an ENI, um, increased CPU utilization, APIs being throttled on a certain service. So those are things we think of as actions and those can be referenced in an experiment. So customers no longer need to go figure out if there's a public API that can do this or if they need to create a script to create a certain condition. It's a lot easier to reference with these pre-built action types. And then with those actions and an experiment, customers can set up more complex sets of actions. So, Like you mentioned, gradual degradation of performance. So say you could have five different latency injection actions that have increasing severity and test how your app responds whenever you see gradual degradation over time. You can also set up concurrently running actions, which aligns much more closely to what we actually see in the real world. It's not usually one thing happening at one discrete point in time, but often simultaneous failures that create those worst case scenarios that we really want to protect against.
1: And and so there's clearly a a lot of automation at play there. And we've kind of talked about game days and those kind of event-based chaos engineering testing, but can this be integrated into more of a sort of CI/CD type pipeline so that you're kind of always running these tests as just part of your your tests your integration suite
0: yeah so that that pipeline integration piece is very core to the use cases we're thinking about with this service so there is the setup to run the game day style format but we also have apis that can be used to run these experiments programmatically and integrate in a pipeline
1: and so i mean on the face of it i look at it and go this sounds great um, you know we should, we should be doing this but I think it'd be interesting going to your, your various VPs and saying, Hey, we want to use this chaos engineering thing. And they sort of reel back on chaos. That doesn't sound good in all seriousness. What are some of the risks of using chaos engineering? Like there, there, there may be some downsides. We should be aware of those too.
0: Yeah, we have found that as well. The chaos is just a scary word, especially if you're not familiar with it as a common term. And there, there are real risks to doing this and, Part of it is just awareness and making sure that you're prepared and you understand what can happen. And as much as possible, understand all those dependencies and have a really strong hypothesis before you run anything. We also strongly recommend folks don't start in production that maybe that's the end goal, but you start in your <laughs> Probably not environment. the first
1: place you want to be tested.
0: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Then you really will get chaos. Um, but to start in somewhere where you can really practice and see what happens, see how the resource targeting works, see what happens when these action runs and get really familiar with one, the service or tool that you're using, and then also chaos engineering in general before moving to production. Um, The other piece that um, we have in Fizz is where safety is one of the big pieces that we're trying to make easier. And we know it can be pretty scary to get started with chaos engineering. And being uncertain that you're actually as safeguarded as you need to be. So we have these this component of an experiment built in with Fizz that we call the stop condition. And the stop condition allows customers to include one metric or a larger set of metrics that are going to be monitored while an experiment runs. And if anything alarms, the experiment automatically stops running. And if any actions include a way to roll back, we automatically do that rollback.
1: Yeah, so having those, those safety controls, I think, are, are key, particularly, like I say, if, you, if you're running this in production eventually, and that's, that's the goal. I mean, uh, highly developed chaos engineering practices include production, uh, but you don't want the unintended consequences of your tests to get in the way of production as well. So having that security is really important what what kind of application classes would most benefit from this particular service
0: yeah we i guess i mentioned earlier like i think the short answer is all all of them i think like the, the observability benefit we talked about is <laughs> everything. something that everything yeah um it's something that all applications can benefit from but i it is say particularly beneficial for mission critical applications um, a lot of our financial services customers are very keen to build up chaos engineering, to do things like show resiliency compliance that they won't be affected if an AZ goes down, for example. Um, So the short answer is all applications can benefit from this, but those mission-critical applications, applications that you need to maintain super high performance, those are a good place to start with chaos engineering, as well as things that you know are going to fail. Like whenever folks get started with chaos engineering, we recommend they look back over the last year or two and see what are the big failures that happened and maybe the big failures that you didn't deal with so well and start to design chaos engineering to improve in those areas that have been pains in the past.
1: That's actually a really good tip because you're, you're kind of creating experiments around a known a known scenario and a known problem. So you at least have some data to work with it. You know well, whenever this happens, that happens. So if we can create the the test that simulates that, then we can start testing different hypotheses about how we might solve for that.
0: Yep, it gives you that peace of mind as well, like um, whenever customers hit issues or deal with events and often do do a post-mortem and make improvements to deal with that if it ever happened again. but, there is some uncertainty still about like what the improvements you made will they actually be as effective as you think they will be and chaos engineering lets you actually create that event again or create that problem again and check that the improvements you made are actually going to work as you think they are.
1: Yeah, it sounds, sounds pretty exciting so when does this service become available to customers and how do they get access to it?
0: We pre-announced it during Reinvent and planning to launch it generally available in all commercial regions in 2021.
1: And I'm guessing once uh, once it hits hits uh, uh, all those regions, um, the team's going to be ready for a lot of customer feedback to, to iterate pretty fast on what it can do.
0: We will, yeah. So I think again, a particular area that we're planning to keep investing in with the service is to add more and more fault injection action types and support for more and more AWS services.
1: Yeah, I think it's going to grow pretty quick because I think uh, once people get their hands on it, they'll be like, this is what we needed. So uh, excellent. Laura, thanks so much for coming on the podcast and uh, giving us a bit of a, an intro and uh, a heads up so that we can keep an eye out for this in 2021.
0: This was really fun. Thanks, Simon.
1: Thank you. And thanks everyone for listening. We do love to get your feedback. AWS podcast at amazon.com is the place to do it. And until next time, keep on building.